Greetings and welcome to the Power for Positive Living podcast. My name is James Huey. I facilitate Friendship's personal growth education services and also serve as host for these podcasts, offering openness and caring through the gifts of listening hospitality. I invite you to join me here on Friendship Podcast Radio as we explore diverse topics to enrich the quality of your life, power for positive living, and friendship. I have received three questions with what I believe has a wide appeal to the people who listen to this podcast. The answer to these questions, I believe, can offer information that may be helpful with your own journey of self-study. The first question, in one program, it was mentioned that you saw friendship as a psychological ministry. Is this podcast tied to a specific church or religion? An excellent question, and one that I can give a very short and at a more extended answer. The short answer to your question is no. The views expressed on this podcast are tied to my own experiences. Friendship is not tied to any specific church or religion. When I, James Huey, use the word ministry... I am referring to the concepts and definition of one being of service to others. I believe there are many ways for us to be in ministry and to be of service to others in our world. Of course, churches serve with various types of religious ministry. Other organizations minister to others with food kitchens or clothing closets, school supplies, books for children, or providing smoke alarms for the poor for safety reasons. There can be financial ministry by helping those who have fewer financial resources than we do. This may take the form of helping seniors prepare their tax returns. We may give money to those suffering serious setbacks in their lives, such as weather-related disasters like hurricanes. I personally believe that just being kind and saying supportive words to others can easily be a form of personal ministry. I also believe we strengthen our mental health when we each find a meaningful way to minister to the other people in our world. One unusual type of ministry to me and that I experienced was seeing the Hello Henry talk shows when I visited the WBT, a, a radio station in Charlotte, North Carolina, way back in 1992. I saw the host, Henry Bogan, reaching out to his listeners to give them an opportunity to meet their needs of having someone share their views and being heard by another. During my three visits to the show, I saw the host offer ministry. To me, it was ministry to this human need by providing a unique service. How serving others is usually framed is tied to the viewpoints of the presenter. The philosophical framework that I use is the variety of information available to all through the concepts of wellness psychology. 
Wellness psychology is devoted to learning more about the unique human that each of us is. It seeks to build and use information, experience, and experimentation into personal guidelines. The guidelines focus on the health of each person rather than the illness or pathology that one might find in clinical psychology. In summation, friendship is not in itself tied to a certain religious or spiritual view, but we recognize that the mental health of many persons are directly tied to their personal choices that they make in the areas of spirituality and religion. The degree that each person chooses to integrate their religious and spiritual beliefs into their mental health tends to be an individual matter. Friendship does support this behavior using wellness psychology. We support to assist each individual to find his or her own personal path. We accept individual differences in finding and creating that path. Both religious ministry and psychological ministry do offer gifts and support to individuals for their journey through life. Each has a different framework to help others, but both help. I personally find it rewarding when all types of ministries can come together to help and serve others in lots of different ways. In that way, friendship will continue to be a psychological ministry by the way it offers wellness psychology to be of service to other people, these other individuals who are finding their individual and personal path of living this gift we call a life. Let's move on to question number two from the listeners. How does the experience of personal retreating that is frequently mentioned on the podcast differ from two friends having a deep conversation? This is not the first time that this question has come to yours truly, and so therefore I am eager to share some of the things that I see that are different between personal retreating and conversations. I do see the similarity. The conversations do tend to be personal in nature, and each individual does see him or herself as a friend to the other. The content of the conversations between these friends tend to include the lives of both persons, and this is probably the key component to begin. In conversation, we focus on the participation and ability to participate of both individuals. The focus is on the lives of each. With personal retreating, we tend to select one person where the focus will be. To me, the personal retreating process is different than typical conversation between friends in several significant ways. Having said that, what are some specifics that I can share with you? One, being a friend is accepted by each as meeting the friendship definition, which says someone who allows you to be your true self. Not pastiming, not just having conversation about general topics, but a deep conversation that is structured around you can be you. 
A second characteristic is an agreement that one of the persons will be the focus of the dialogues. This is another thing that differs. In conversation, it generally tends to be a joint experience. But in personal retreating, one of the persons will be the focus of the dialogues and the activities. This one person is the recipient of attention during the process, while the other person generally takes on the responsibilities of directing the process towards self-learning for the first person. The first person is the focus, the study of where the emphasis on self-learning will take place, and the other person takes on the responsibility of directing that focus. A third characteristic might be that each agrees to be bound by the acceptance that the conversational content and the activities will take place with confidentiality. And you and I have been in enough conversations to know that is not always a given in conversations with people in general. So one of the components of personal retreating is an acceptance, a focus, an acknowledgement that the dialogue, the experiences, will remain confidential between the two individuals. Time boundaries are set. We will set up in advance how long this process will take rather than just go and start and see where it goes. We may set it something up like a three-hour time block or a period of one, two, or three days. Whatever it is, we set up a time block to complete the focus of personal retreating. The facilitator has to have some concept of what wellness psychology is to be able to use it, but he or she encourages and supports the other person as they probe areas of interest in their lives. The facilitator operates with the premise that the other is the, quote, authority on their life. When I am talking with a person in the process of personal retreating, I acknowledge that although I am doing the focusing and setting the direction, I accept and acknowledge and honor that the other person is actually the true authority on who they are. Personal retreating does use some characteristics of the counseling process, such as active listening. But personal retreating is also focused on learning the healthy characteristics of building a positive lifestyle. The emphasis is on learning, and the focus is on the healthy characteristics of building a positive lifestyle. Personal retreating is not focused on curing pathology. The activities are more focused on the process of learning self-study, the methodologies, rather than to reach a cure or a change of a pathological belief, attitude, or behavior. Calling this an experience a retreat indicates that the individual separates him or herself physically and emotionally from their usual daily routine. He or she withdraws from the familiar surroundings of daily living, physically checks out to a new and separate location. Any number of places can work for the individual. One can go to the seashore, the mountains, a retreat center, or probably one of my very favorites, going to a cruise ship. I would be negligent if I didn't come to the very next characteristic of personal retreating, and it's probably one of the ones that make it so unusual, but also make it valuable. 
This characteristic of personal retreating versus a deep conversation between friends is that the concluding exercise of the time spent together. The retreatant, the person who is being the process of self-learning, works with his or her facilitating friend to structure a concrete plan for integrating this experience. It is needed to be integrated so that the knowledge can be taken back into the daily life of the person. This plan can be developed in many different formats and tailored personally to the unique individuals. I also believe that having insights means using insights. Why have knowledge? If you don't plan to use it, learning means doing. So in conclusion about personal retreating, I would say that one of the most important characteristics is that whatever takes place, there is some concrete plan to integrate those experiences into the life once you leave that, quote, island and go back to your regular life. That's two or three questions. The third question came just recently, and it says, what do you believe makes it so difficult for many people to be more open and honest in their relationships? That is a difficult question and certainly is a challenging one. For anyone who has been in the area of psychology, we know that relationships whether they be with themselves or with others. The relationships that we have in life generally tend to bring us the most joy, and at the same time, they also bring us the most difficult challenges that we have as being emotionally and physically healthy human beings. There are many ways that this question can be approached and discussed. Since I believe so strongly in the characteristics of individuality, I believe each person would probably have their own explanation of what prevents them from being more open and honest in so many of their relationships. These people would also have personal views on how they could be more open. Unfortunately, the tendency tends to be on, if I could change other people, then I could be more open. That's generally a prescription that's not going to work and generally keeps you in whatever pattern of behavior you are in. It keeps it going. During my years in graduate school for my degree in counseling psychology, I was introduced to a book that became very important. It was influential for my professional work and to my personal life journey. Even though this book is now 50 years old, the contents remain, to me, a valuable aid for the process of self-study. I think it's one of the most valuable books that I have ever come across in my life journey. The title of the book, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am?, by a fellow named John Powell. John Powell was a Jesuit priest, and he approached many of the concepts of wellness psychology in this particular book. Much of my own graduate study was focused on the clinical aspects of understanding and treating psychopathology. 
the human part that was so important to me of understanding the uniqueness, the diversity of each human being was helped greatly by the contents of this particular book. So what did John Powell have to say about the question, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? He gives a very brief answer. He says, I am afraid to tell you who I am because you may not like who I am and it's all that I have. I'll repeat that because it's so important and profound for me. I am afraid to tell you who I truly am because you may not like who I truly am and it's all that I have. On many of the Power for Positive Living podcasts, I have mentioned the emotional and physical behavior that we have as human beings and how much we strive to be liked by others. Much of the so-called education that we receive from family and friends and society teaches ways to be liked by those around us. There seldom is very much effort devoted to teaching us how to be ourselves and understand ourselves as we truly are. We receive a lot more emphasis and education on how to be liked. We very seldom test our image of ourselves with knowledge and information. We also may recall from our conversation about facades that facades can be quite elaborate systems of defensive thoughts, defensive feelings, and defensive behaviors to keep us from exposing who we really are so that we increase our chances of being liked by ourselves as well as the other people around us. As a child, I can soon learn at home that I can alter myself to make myself more likable to those who are most important for my survival and happiness. For example, if you tell me that you do not like my true feelings of having a tantrum or my true feelings of expressing anger, I soon learn that you do, however, like cute smiles or you may like hugs. Basically, we are taught as children what works in relating to those who are closest to us and to the world in general. With years of training and experience through childhood and adolescence, it can be difficult to drop this learning. To drop it if I have learned that in order to be liked by others, I have also developed ways to protect myself from the pains that truth-telling can produce. It can be difficult for me to tell you who I truly am because, once again, you may not like it, and what else do I have? Much of the self-study process that we talk about on Power for Positive Living is devoted to understanding the feelings, attitudes, and behaviors that I have learned during my life journey. It is important before we have some idea of how we want to make changes, it's a very healthy process to understand what are our current beliefs and attitudes and our current feelings on who we are. In addition to understanding who I am, I explore options for possible change to help me live a more positive lifestyle. This is what self-study is about and finding ways to share that with other people. 
I believe we each reach the point where we decide to what degree we can safely be open and be honest about ourselves as we talk to ourselves about who we are and what we feel and what we might do. And we can be honest about who we truly are in some or most aspects of our relationships with other people. So can we ever reach that point of personal safety with another where we can truly open and expose ourselves as we truly are? Like most of life, it is our personal choice, and we usually succeed to some degree. It's very seldom that we succeed in being completely open and vulnerable emotionally, physically, and in the other way to others and ourselves. But it is very seldom that we are not able to make progress if we wish to make that particular change. Well, this is your host, James Huey. I hope that all that I share during these podcasts are received as a gift from me to you. You, my listeners. My comments remain my own views and experiences. I offer them to you for your consideration. I hope that you may value some of what I have said and be able to integrate it into your own personal lifestyle, make your own personal life choices. I thank you, as always, for listening to me on this podcast of Wellness Psychology. And once again, as your questions indicate, I appreciate the positive feedback that you have sent via email. Please continue to nurture yourself as the unique individual that I truly believe that you are. I ask you to please join me next week as we continue to explore topics to enrich the quality of your life. Power for positive living and friendship. <laughs>